Let's open our Bibles, God's amazing holy word, for 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. A sermon I have titled Resurrection and Reunion, those being the two sections of this passage, the two words that I believe the Apostle Paul wanted these Thessalonians to remember and dwell upon. And uh, full disclosure, I preached on this very passage six years ago, and um, a lot of what I'm going to say tonight, I, I did teach in November of 2017. Um, that sermon series was a sermon series on the future, where we, we thought for quite a while about what God has promised for the future. It's called eschatology, is the fancy theological word for what we believe concerning the future. Um, the eschaton, meaning uh, not just the end times, but kind of the direction all of creation is going. Where is all this headed? <laughs> that's what eschatology seeks to answer. Um, that's the question that eschatology seeks to answer. And so preached a sermon series on that. You might recall the sermons on heaven and hell and the return of Jesus, um, his judging of the living and the dead. Um, I even recall preaching a sermon, a sermon on dying, on death, what, what happens right when we die. And um, today we're studying the passage, uh, and we'll, we'll find a lot of similar content in this passage as that, that we would hear in a sermon series on eschatology. We're just working our way through the book of First Thessalonians, and we're going to follow this right up with Second Thessalonians, as you can tell by the graphic on the screen behind me. Um, and uh, we'll jump into the text having already read or having already prayed for God's blessing upon our reading. Uh, we'll start reading at verse 13, uh, a controversial passage, and so I'm kind of excited to dig into it again tonight. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, or through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of, of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is addressing a grieving church people who are grieving, who are sorrowful. As in every other church, some of the beloved members of this congregation have died. We can easily imagine the scenario where these Thessalonian Christians are gathering to mourn the loss of maybe a woman who has been generous with her time and invited people into her home, has passed away, and the church is sad. We can imagine another scenario where a young man full of zeal and following Jesus has had a tragic accident, has passed away, and the church 
likewise is, is sad, missing him, wondering what God is doing in all this. We can imagine those scenarios because we have had them in our own congregation, even recently. That's life in a church. Life in a church includes grief together, where we gather for memorial services, where we visit one another in each other's homes, where we write cards to each other of encouragement and sympathy. The Christian is going to be sad sometimes when a loved one dies. The closer the relationship, the more grief we experience. So, of course, in the context of the loss of a spouse, that grief is very intense. And also in the context of life in a church, that grief can be very intense and, and strong as well. So even as I begin preaching on this passage, we can note in the very first verse, Paul acknowledges that the Christian will grieve. The Christian certainly has permission to grieve. But that grief can be made even more severe by ignorance. The grief can be helped by good theology and by remembering the truths of the Scriptures. But if you forget God's promises, your grief will be worse. If you remember God's promises, you will still mourn, you'll still be sad, but you will have hope. Paul began this section of teaching by addressing the beliefs of the people in that church. Did you notice that as he's starting out this little section of 1 Thessalonians, he's saying, I do not want you to be uninformed. He's saying, I'm going to teach you some theology here. For you people who are grieving, who are missing loved ones, I'm going to teach you something about those who have fallen asleep. Why? So that you may not grieve as those who have no hope, that you would grieve in a healthy way. He's not saying this so that people would not grieve at all, which tragically has been the response, unfortunately, of some Christians in previous generations and centuries, almost as if we should put on a happy face, they say, and just be optimistic and cheerful because those people have gone to a better place. That's not what the Apostle Paul is, is saying here. He's saying you, you will grieve, and it's okay to be sad. But he's saying you should grieve in a way that remembers something. You should be informed about those who are asleep. Something struck me when thinking about Paul's words for the Thessalonian believers here, and that is that in our culture, um, including a lot of times at memorial services, there is so much attention on the faith of the person who has died. And that's a good thing to remember. If, for example, we had the memorial service of Hilda de Cruyff a couple weeks ago, and we remembered her strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing to remember and celebrate at her memorial service. There's so much attention, though, on the faith of the person who has passed away that at times we would forget to ask the question of the faith of those who are grieving. And that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing in this very passage. He's 
he is acknowledging the faith of those who have passed away. They have fallen asleep in Christ. But mainly his teaching here is about the faith of those who are remaining, who are living in this Thessalonian church. Essentially, he's saying what you believe about Jesus will determine how you respond to the death of your loved ones. It will determine how you grieve. If it's grief without hope, or with hope. When we read any passage of Scripture, we should be asking, what is the problem that the author is addressing? What is the problem that the Apostle Paul is specifically addressing? What is happening in the Thessalonian church? What is their ignorance, or why are they uninformed? What are they uninformed about? These people were concerned that anyone who had died before Jesus' return is going to miss out on some aspect of salvation. It sounds a little bit distant from us because there have been so many generations that have lived and died since the ascension of Christ that it's not really a problem in today's church anymore, but we should remember Paul is writing this letter to people who were excited about the return of Christ and they were hoping that that would happen in their lifetime in the same way that that it would be good for us to hope that it happens in our lifetime. And so these people are wondering, will those people who have died be kind of in second place or behind those who are alive when Jesus condescends to judge the living and the dead? There could be some confusion about some of the things that Jesus actually taught. For example, Jesus' parable of of the virgins which you would remember where Jesus says it's so important to be ready for his return. It's so important to be ready, and there were those half of the virgins who were not ready and who missed out on the return of Christ and, and were sent away. And then those, there, there were those other half who were, who were ready and who were welcomed into the wedding banquet. And so somebody would hear maybe a parable like that and think, well, what about those people who have died? How could they be ready? How could they welcome Christ into this world in a way that Jesus would want. This is creating um, a theological problem and, and really even an emotional or psychological problem for those who are grieving in the Thessalonian church. So that isn't so much our concern anymore because of the countless generations that have lived and died since Jesus' ascension. But I think that still there is some anxiety that people have when going through grief. And so I want to ask, what is our worry generally? What causes us sometimes to be uninformed or um, maybe even to grieve? Not in a healthy way, but at times even in, in despair. I think that our anxiety today is more likely caused by forgetting about the resurrection of Jesus and his impending return. And so we need Paul's teaching just like the first century Thessalonian church did. We need to be informed. We need to be reminded of the resurrection of Christ, about his return to judge the living and the dead, and how on that day all those who are covered by Christ's grace will be welcomed into his everlasting kingdom. Paul addresses the grief of the Thessalonians with two doctrines. The doctrine of the resurrection and the doctrine of the return of Christ. 
So verse 14, he says, the resurrection of Jesus is a pledge of our future resurrection and how that gives us hope. He said, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so this says that Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and he promised that anyone who believes in him, we could remember the conversation with Martha at the death of Lazarus, anyone who believes in him will experience the same resurrection that he did. We could remember those words of Jesus, anyone who believes in me will live even though he dies. Indeed, anyone who believes in me will never die. So here we have that teaching again from the Apostle Paul, those who we believe Jesus died and rose, and so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16 confirms this, the same teaching again, that the great day of the Lord, when Christ returns, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and a resurrection will happen. The dead in Christ will rise first. And so Paul is reminding the Thessalonians, remember this as you grieve. As you grieve for your loved ones who have died, don't grieve as people without hope. Grieve remembering what God has promised will happen. What God has promised he will fulfill. Paul gives this instruction because the mood of grief in the ancient world was a mood of hopelessness, despair, and utter defeat. He, he wants the Christian form of grief to be contrasted to the typical form of grief in the ancient Greco-Roman world, which was utter hopelessness. Professor Jeff Wyma, one of my New Testament professors at Calvin Theological Seminary, is arguably one of the greatest scholars on First Thessalonians in the world today. And he wrote a very helpful commentary on First uh, Thessalonians where he, he, went, he went through in his commentary a list of grave inscriptions that were common in the first century. Very interesting um, historical, archaeological work. And just as today, there were little slogans and phrases that people would use um, when thinking about death, when thinking about all different matters of life. And one of the most popular inscriptions on graves at the time of the Apostle Paul was this little phrase, that this would be on gravestones. I was not, and I was. I am not, and I care not. So this would be on gravestones. So it refers to the pre-existent self. I was not, then I was, then I had a life. Now I am not and I care not. This was an extremely popular phrase on many gravestones in the ancient world, so much so that um, often just the first letter of each of those words would have been inscribed on the gravestone and everyone would have known what it meant, what it stood for. Um, sort of like WWJD, what would Jesus do? And so many people in our culture know that WWJD means a certain thing. This phrase was so popular that just the first letters of each word in Latin would have been inscribed on graves. What despair and hopelessness. That 
little phrase reflects the belief system of so many people in ancient culture and of so many people in our culture today who would consider themselves, maybe to use a theological term, to be materialists, meaning they believe that all that there is to this world is the physical world itself, and there is no everlasting soul. Such people would say there is no God. And this is the approach, the thought of, about death for atheists, agnostics, people who reject God and reject the existence of the soul. It's a sad and uh, uh, even shocking, I would say, approach to life, isn't it? But if there is no life to come, it's all over the moment your heart stops and your brain activity ceases. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, there's that popular teaching out there that is absolutely hopeless. The Christian should not grieve in that way. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a sure pledge that there is life after death. That there is life after death. And so, this um, nihilistic, defeatist understanding of life is corrected when we remember the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting, the resurrection of Jesus. So, then we find in verse 17, Paul describes the response of the resurrected believers at Jesus' arrival. When we are risen from our graves, standing on the earth, resurrected, um, seeing the returning Christ with our own physical eyes, what will happen then? Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This is one of the most debated verses of the whole Bible. I listened to a sermon in preparation for this message. I didn't know what the, uh, the uh, theology of this pastor would be. I just found a sermon on 1 Thessalonians 4 on Spotify and wanted to listen to a sermon. And uh, this pastor excitedly proclaimed that this verse gives the best support for the belief that is called the rapture. He's very excited to share this verse with his congregation because he was so convinced of the rapture. And brothers and sisters in Christ who believe in the rapture interpret this verse to mean that in a moment there will be a mass disappearance of Christians throughout the world who will be caught up, who will be raptured into heaven. They will depart mysteriously from the earth to be with Jesus in heaven. So for such an interpretation, the operative word in that verse is caught up. And the Latin is, I think it's something like rapturo, or uh, it's, it has something to do with the rapture, be caught up. The idea there is that before Christ returns, there will be terrible suffering on earth. And one of God's graces towards the church is that he will rapture up the church, rapture up believers out of the world to spare us from suffering, from the suffering of that experience of that great tribulation. Some Christians put that doctrine in the essential doctrines to believe list. Almost saying that 
that particular understanding of 1 Thessalonians 4.17 must be believed if one is to be considered a true Christian. Uh, Particularly a lot of American Christians feel that way very strongly. I do not. (laughs) Christians disagree about the details about uh, the method of Jesus' return. Christians can disagree about the method of Christ's return. That's one of the reasons why the Christian Reformed Church does not have an official position on the interpretation of this verse or on um, the methodology of eschatology, (laughs) if we want to use some longer words. Some... um, but, but I do believe very strongly, based on this passage and others, that there will be no rapture. Instead, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, will all be one event instead of a series of events that unfold over seven years or a thousand years. And the reason that I believe this is partly based on the interpretation of this very verse, this verse that could seem to be such a convincing verse that seems to teach the rapture actually confirms this belief of what is called amillennialism, that Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, and at that moment, history as we know it in this world will end. The dead in Christ will rise, actually all will rise for a judgment, and then Christ will um, will make his new heavens and new earth. So, the reason I believe this is largely based on, on this verse, but others as well. And, and part of the reason is that the operative word in the Greek text is not caught up. It, it's quite clear, actually, in how the Greek is written that the operative word of that verse is meat. To meet. That's a little bit surprising because that word doesn't really stand out in our English reading of uh, English translation reading of the verse. It's really not the most exciting word in this verse, is it? I mean, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on in that verse. And we would look at a word like to meet as just kind of a bland word, but it's actually a very specific theological term, a very specific technical term. So the Greek word for to meet is apontesis. And it's a technical term about a specific kind of meeting that will happen. Um, here's, here's what it means. There's an image that shows this kind of meeting happening at an airport. Um, I don't know if you could see it very well, but there are some people, you can see the red carpet is laid out for people who are arriving on an airplane. That airplane is coming from Tel Aviv in Israel. This is the first flight that um, between Tel Aviv and Dubai. And so the red carpet is rolled out for these people coming from Israel to Dubai, and there is a welcome delegation there. They're waving hello to the people who are arriving on that airplane from Tel Aviv. And so you would say, well, what does this have to do with the meeting that it talks about in 1 Thessalonians 4? This apontesis, this meeting, is the meeting of a welcome delegation. It was a technical term in the ancient world, which is something that would happen whenever important people, dignitaries, or kings would arrive in a town. There would be a group of people who would gather together as a welcome delegation 
and they would go outside of the city walls, outside towards that king or that dignitary, and they would meet that king. They would meet him, apontasis, meet him, and welcome him into their city, just like what's happening here in Dubai. These, um, I suppose, men probably, we can't see their faces, but they are the welcome delegation. They're going, we can imagine, to walk up that red carpet to say hello and welcome these passengers on this airplane into their city. That's what apontasis very technically means. So, if, um, if this is what the word means, would those welcome delegation, would they get on the plane and go to where that plane was coming from? No, that's not the function of a welcome delegation. They're welcoming people to where they live. And so it sort of defeats the doctrine of the rapture because in the doctrine of the rapture, the idea is that we will be caught up with the Lord and meet and go away from the world. But this passage quite clearly teaches, no, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds, so that we would meet and welcome the Lord into the world that he is going to rule over. Again, it's a, it's a pretty technical term that, that does seem to defeat that doctrine of the rapture. We're not going to depart from the earth at the day of the Lord, but we're going to welcome Jesus as a triumphant king to the earth to judge the living and the dead. So, do you remember the concern of the Thessalonians? Paul is teaching them that those who have died will not miss out on that great event. They will not miss out on welcoming Jesus to the earth as a conquering, glorious king. The return of Jesus will be a glorious sight, a wonderful time. As we sang earlier, what a day, glorious day that will be when we see Jesus, when we welcome him as this massive welcome delegation of the church into the world that he will rule and reign over. And not only will we be, will we be um, enjoying Jesus' victory, his resurrection in that day and our own blessed resurrection as well, but we'll have a reunion of believers at that time as well. So, those who have fallen asleep in Christ will rise and we will see our Redeemer with our physical eyes as Job prophesied thousands of years ago. And when I read this passage, or whenever I read it at a graveside, which is, this is the passage that I, I believe I've read at probably every graveside service that I have officiated here at Ammon Valley, I always remind people that, that at a cemetery, we don't just look back, look back on the life of the one who has passed away, but at a cemetery, the Christian looks forward. We look forward to the great and glorious day of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead, reunion of the saints, the perfect, full, and everlasting communion of saints that will be instituted when Christ returns. And so, the result of these doctrines, the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ, is hopefully that 
we would grieve, but that we would always remain hopeful. Hopeful in what God has promised to do. As we sang earlier, what a day, what a day, a glorious day that will be. Amen. Let's pray.